capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Opinions expressed on this show are totally mine and do not reflect the opinions of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County and other shows, please go to KUCI.org. Hi, Heather. How are you? Oh, pretty good. How about you? I'm doing great. I, um, I'm going to check my volume. <laughs> check your volume. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, I'm doing pretty well. We went to Cars Lounge yes, or last week. I ran after my show. Um, and uh, I was a little bit disappointed, actually. I mean, the theming was nice. Everything looked good. Um, the rides were a little bit of a disappointment because it's like almost Peter Pan halfway through the Cars ride, and then you race the person beside you, and then it turns into a roller coaster, but very briefly. And so that was a little bit disappointing, honestly. Well, what exactly was it you were heading off to? They're, they were unveiling something new. Oh, yes. La- if you didn't join us last week, they were um, my, my brother got tickets to, to the unveiling of Cars, and it's a, kind of a staff preview. And... Um, so we went there and experienced a new land at the California Adventure Park. So it's a whole new area. It's then. a whole new area. It's basically the last of the 1950s parking lot era, or area. And oh, um, I used to love that parking lot. Yeah, Timon it, parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they turned it into Cars Land, and uh, and then we went on the flying saucers as well, or the flying tires now. And so it's a retro ride. Uh, they used to have flying saucers at. Uh, in the 60s over at Tomorrowland, but they would always break down, so they pulled them out, and then there was like this resurgence and grassroots movement to kind of bring them back, so they brought them back in the form of tires that float on a big air hockey table, essentially. Oh. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, the line, the, the problems are, is like, if you look at some of the older rides that, at Disneyland, like their queues are really short. You know, the, the lines, they can wind around, but the actual volume of space they take are very short. The problem with the car, right, the, the cars area land is um, we waited, and it was it was just employees only. I mean, they didn't invite everybody, and we waited for the the um, the tire ride for at least an hour, oh, and then we waited. Yeah, we waited for the other one for about ninety minutes. So, I mean, the ride capacity is just terrible. So, I mean, they, they've got some work to do. I think um, hopefully they can. It's something changeable, right? So. Well, Anyways. I certainly enjoyed our KUCI potluck we had last week. Oh, weekend. that was fun, wasn't it? Well, it was my first. What what number was it for you? You've been a, oh, you're a veteran. How long have you? I, it's been, been a here? bit. Um, basically, it, I um that would probably be number. Mm, Are we getting a call? We're getting a call. I'm putting them on hold for a moment, but um, okay. basically, it's it was probably number probably like four or five. Um, for me, so okay, um, it was a lot of fun though. I was impressed with how many people have supported the station for so long, and how many people had a really rich, long history with the station. Yeah, there, there, the lifers were there yeah. that night. Yeah, I enjoyed that. What little bit I've been, I've, I've been here. So yeah, it was a lot Maybe of fun. Maybe you'll see me in ten. And, and I, I did a very rare thing, and I actually drank alcohol. So the whole thing was I kind of like a it. weird. Did you do that after I left? No, I was I was uh, pretty intoxicated when you were talking to me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean is that why you had that eternal grin on your face? <laughs> yeah, that, when I'm drunk, I'm a happy drunk and I'm oh smiling. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yes, there's yeah. nothing more fun than a happy drunk. A lot of people that missed the party were upset, and I'm like, because they didn't get to see they me didn't drinking. Get, yeah, because they never see me drinking, and, then, and it's like a some kind of 
you know, I don't know, um, crest for a holy grail of some sort to see me drunk and because I hardly drink. And um, they were upset that I was actually drunk. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. But I'm upset that my perceptual abilities are so waning that I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I don't know. I, I'm pretty good at... Um, I'm pretty good at hiding it. I don't, uh, I don't, well, sometimes. I, I guess one time I got really super drunk and I was falling all over the place, but most of the time I'm pretty good at hiding it. So, yeah. There's all sorts of people at the station that want to, um, I don't know if this is a, this is, this bodes well for the station, but there's a whole lot of people at the station that wants me to do various drugs with them just to see what it would be like. Oh, well, I think it's a college, <laughs> so, it's a yeah. college radio station. I think. I think they would expect a Let's bit of that. Let's give Heather cocaine and see what happens. <laughs> just like, yeah. Let's not and stay above board and be legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyways. We're all about following the law here. At oh, yeah, totally. And being respectful of law enforcement and all, all laws that pertain to people that follow them. <laughs> yes, I guess. When we see a cop driving down the street, we stop, get out, and salute. Oh, I don't think you're supposed to salute. I just oh. think you're supposed to keep your hands at your side. Oh, okay. Well, I have to ask you, were you a little surprised to see a repeat guest in the studio today when I, I walked was. in? I'm late. <laughs> and um, I don't know about you, but I frankly didn't get enough last week. I It was a really rich experience for me to have this fabulous poet in the studio. Uh, Michelle Mitchell Faust is here with us again today. And partly because after, well, I guess since you told a little um, got drunk story, I could probably tell a little one. Um, after we left the station, we we weren't done clearly talking. So we found our way to a local fabulous restaurant, Taco Rosa, and ordered some of the most amazing sangria. And so we both decided we have a new bad habit. <laughs> Read a little poetry and um, stimulate the mind, stimulate the, stimulate the senses. And so we're going to do a little repeat and go and have some more sangria later on tonight. So. Oh, that sounds fun. KUCI West, if you want to come join us. <laughs> yeah, join us. <clears throat> anyway, so, well, what what happened is afterwards we sat and talked about all the things we didn't talk about. And so we didn't want to, we didn't want to miss the opportunity. And so Michelle was gracious enough to dust off some more manuscripts and um, come and talk to us. So we have more to say. That's what it comes down to. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks, Heather, for having me again. I, yes, I did realize after I left here last time that I had completely forgotten to talk about the new anthology that I'm editing with Tony Barnstone. And this anthology uh, is called Monstrous Verse, Angels, Demons, Vampires, Ghosts, and Fabulous Beasts. I love the fabulous beasts part. <laughs> um, Are the, any of those fabulous beasts ex-boyfriends? <laughs> Actually, yes. What? Probably really? there are. Human monsters are incorporated into this anthology. <laughs> yeah. Cannibals. Ooh. All your favorites. I'm a uncomfortable with Dahmer. cannibalism. One of my favorite movies, actually. Look at Heather's actually. smiling again. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not drunk. I'll just say that for the record. But one of my favorite movies is actually Cannibal the Musical. Um. And it's, uh, I don't, have you ever heard of Alfred Packard? It sounds familiar. He was he, it, basically he was um, a very bad guide, and it's more of a Colorado legend than in California. But um, he there was a gold strike in Utah, so he led uh, people west to go find the gold strike from Colorado to Utah. And he was such a bad guide that um, pretty much everybody in his party got killed, but him. And he showed up, and he was of good weight, and so they found 
uh, half-eaten bodies all over the campsite, the final campsite where they were at. And he claimed that they all ganged up on him, and then he had to eat them, he killed them and eat them to save his own life. So Trey Parker and Matt Stone for their college film turned this into a musical. Really? And it, it's and it's actually out on DVD. These are you the can get this. Fabulous boys that brought us South Park. Yes, they did. Okay. And it's uh, it's on Troma DVD, and um, it's one of the funniest musicals you'll ever see in your life. It's uh, they have these really catchy songs like "Let's Build a Snowman," and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's really brilliant. So every time I hear Cannibal, it's just automatically laughing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not thinking the same way. I'm thinking of <laughs> horrific scenes from. Hannibal Lecter and uh, concepts that unfortunately repeat themselves in real life. So tell, take, exactly. us, take us to this place that, um, well, you're really the impetus behind this anthology. So I, I want to hear about that. I've been a horror enthusiast since I was a child and uh, reading Stephen King since Stephen King began to publish. Um Big, big fan of his. And we're I'm still actually, trying to decide when to let my children see their first horror movie. My oldest is 13. I think it's Am time. I'm a little late. <laughs> it's time. 13. I just can't get the images out of my head from start the off, ones I saw in my childhood. Start off with something cheesy. Absolutely. Like, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, no. Day. Not that one. That's <laughs> that's pretty hardcore. I would start off with the Hitchcocks. Oh, yeah. The Birds I saw at 10. That's pretty amazing. And I had nightmares. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was a good sign that when I turned my TV on this morning for my birds, I know that seems really weird, but they're alone a lot. And uh, I turned the TV on and the birds was on this morning. So for I the thought, birds? Nice. The birds for the, the birds? The birds were on and I thought, this is a good omen for the interview tonight. Oh, good. Okay. Because the birds... This is the, is... The, uh, the very, it takes you back to the very beginning of your desire to bring horror into your That's life. right. Um, it was, I'm this, not sure it's safe to have dinner with her again. <laughs> I guess oh, we'll you know it. what? Horror writers are the most fun people. I'm a member of the Horror Writers Association. Is that different than the pulp fiction? I mean, pulp fiction is horror and sex all wrapped up in one, right? That's right. Pulp fiction has a number of categories, and mm. horror is one category in pulp fiction. Okay. And sci-fi fantasy and western and gothic romance and sci-fi romance these days everything's broken down into a number of categories but horror is my favorite or dark fantasy and I've been reading it since I was a child and and pretty much writing it since I was a child because my first published poem was about Halloween and yes huh. I can recite it but it's oh you might it's have a pretty to. Li- it's a it's I can are you afraid to no for fear you might be judged <laughs> I do this for my students oftentimes I can recite it it's okay. it's called Halloween <clears throat> Let's do it. See if I can remember this. Pumpkins are orange, ghosts are white, and they come out on Halloween night. Witches are spooky, so are little brown bats. Are you thinking about that? When you go to bed on Halloween night, be very, very careful when you turn out the light, because ghosts and goblins will come in the night, and you will have a very big fright. On Halloween night, pumpkins are put up all over town. When you put faces on them, they look like little clowns. I just can't wait for Halloween night. Wow. And it was published when I was eight years old. Wow. Oh, it was published. Mm-hmm. So how do you, did somebody that's taking care of you says this is a fabulous, we should publish this, or was this a school newspaper kind of thing? It was a, it was a local newspaper mm-hmm. um, in my town of Monticello, Illinois. Uh, my teacher asked us to write Halloween stories, and I asked if I could write a poem, and I did, and she liked it so much that she 
she had the editor of the local newspaper publish it in there. And then she submitted it for my you. cousin Randy then decoupaged it onto a board, which is what you did in the 60s and 70s. Decoupage. Ah. So I have it. I've decoupaged too. What is decoupage? It, it involves glue. It's so bright in here. I, I like our demure lighting that we usually have. It's a little more sultry, especially Can for we the monsters. Turn some lights down. Yeah, the monsters I put will some sunglasses not come on, and us. I don't want to be accused of being a prima yeah. donna. They're not going to come near us. There in we this go. Lighting. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> we don't want to wish any of this evil no. spirits away while we're invoking them today. That's right. So, so, uh, so you kind of got the bug early. Then you mm-hmm. you saw the magic of really opening up. You were encouraged and you got some immediate positive feedback from that. Right. Uh, from my teacher. But then my father wasn't so happy that I was reading all these books with black covers. And he kept saying, why do you read that stuff? Did you go through a goth phase where you painted everything black? No, I didn't go through any phases. I'm pretty, pretty um, straight up horror writer, meaning that we're all pretty normal people who like to laugh and we're funny and we play jokes on each other. And horror writers are extremely healthy people and funny people to be around. Is it because they have these outlets? I think so. So I think what we're getting at is that everybody has a bit of a dark side and somebody that can find their way to a healthy outlet may not have it build up and have it explode into something dangerous or true. And I have also heard uh, some horror writers and I think they're right. And I forget which film director said this, but he said that uh, horror writers and directors are, are big babies. I mean, we really are scared of this stuff. We're the, we really are, um, you know, frightened of this stuff. So is it a coping mechanism? I think it might write? be more too. than anything. Confronting and uh, and going deeper into um, what makes people tick, I guess. And there's always an element of the grotesque in horror. But I also like to say that all the good horror stories are really love stories. Between whom? Uh, just the characters within the story or the character within his world. So is it the struggle that he has to find love because he's unlovable? Mm, could be. I mean, depends I, I, I want to dissect why you say it's always a love story. Well, it, some of my favorites are love stories, like Dead Zone, which is actually a beautiful love story where uh, one character, he's engaged to a woman and uh, they're very much in love. And then he suffers a bad car accident and goes into a coma for a few years and comes out of it and uh, thinks it's the next day and then she has remarried and has a child and uh, he has to come to terms with that and the fact that the accident actually made him psychic. He's able to oh. see into the future. So that's the Christopher Walken character in the in the wonderful movie Dead Zone. So okay. that, that's just one of my favorites. Um, huh. Yeah. Okay. And of course Hitchcock's uh, male and female leads are there's always some romantic tension going on in the midst of whatever chaos is happening, like in The Birds, where where Tippy Hedren is actually pursuing a man she's met in a pet shop and uh, bringing him lovebirds for his niece and, you know, traveling out to an out, you know, a space outside of San Francisco to bring these lovebirds. And, of course, what she's brought with her is a lot more dark and scary. And the townspeople blame her uh, for 
for for having these birds show up as she shows up. Huh. I didn't realize she got blamed for it. I thought she died from the birds. Didn't they all peck she her She got to death? pecked pretty badly, but <laughs> she made it out alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be important for the whole love portion yeah. of the equation. <laughs> they drive off together. <laughs> she Waving she doesn't know who she is, I don't think, at that moment. But oh. I think it's going to end up okay. I think so. I think you're right. Is that, that means you're a bit of an optimist, I mm. think. That's mm. what we're hearing in this. Uh, I am an optimist. Yeah. Like well, let me ending. ask you this: Do you think that? Do you think there's a fascination with horror because you don't have any drama in your life? Oh no, I have tons of drama. You in have my plenty life. drama. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Uh, no, I think I was born with the fascination. In fact, I have a nephew who's eight. Shout out to Mitchell Adair, and he, since he was born, has also had this fascination. And when he was three, he would walk over to me with these books that I had given his father and put them in my lap and say, this one's really scary. And this one's really scary. And he just... And just pile them up into my lap. And Halloween is a very big time for him. Right, right. Well, okay, so let's go on to the anthology some more. So tell me why, why you took on this project. Why you birthed this project. Um, I think like any collection I've ever wanted to put together, it came out of teaching. And I was, I like teaching um, dark psychological suspense or creative writing and horror stories and uh, poems that, you know, have a darker element to them. Why do you like to teach with those being your modality? Well, they're popular. And as you mean any, because of our fascination with vampires these days, or I think so. And I mean, the students are hard to get to these days. Their attention spans with texting and everything, and they seem to like this stuff. So, so you're I, meeting them where they are at. I am, and I thought, why is there no anthology of poetry that I can use? So at the time when I actually said this out loud, I was at Sunny's Pizza in San Clemente. It was a dinner after a reading that I had helped host with a number of very talented poets who run the Casa Romantica reading series, or who did at the time. We ran that series for six years, and our poet of the evening was uh, Tony Barnstone. And I said, Tony, there's no horror poetry anthology that I knew about. And he said, well, let's do it. And I thought, okay, let's do it. And um, that was a couple of years ago, or a few years ago now, and uh, we we decided to make it happen and we started putting together um, just collecting poems from all periods all nationalities all kinds of poems that featured monsters of any sort and uh, then we created a proposal that you have to write a number of we when you create a book proposal it's it's pretty arduous you have to have your audience outlined, you have to have your market outlined, you have to have your intentions all in, in a row. Fortunately, Tony had a, a relationship with Everyman Press out of New York, and uh, we sent the proposal to them first, and they liked it, and they wanted it to come out, you know, in the fall catalog, and we, I kind of panicked and said, oh, I need more time, or we probably do need more time. So we put it off a year, and it's going to be out probably, I, I'm thinking, October 2013. Wow. And it's going to be wonderful because every man does a beautiful job on their books, and they bring them out over a long period of time. It's not going to be a one-shot deal. It's going to be forever. And it's the first book I'm going to get royalties on. 
which is fantastic. Or we are so a tiny an little exciting bit. component for you. It's as a exciting, writer. a stipend and royalties, <laughs> and it's going to be a beautiful looking book, about 150 to 200 pages. How many poems will? Uh, you know, however many poems it takes to fill up 150 to 200 <laughs> pages. Right now, That's our table funny. of contents is huge. We're trying to keep poems under three pages. Okay. Even the epics. And boy, monster poems are epics a lot of times. So tell us about some of the um, more well-known contributors to the uh, anthology. You can't do this anthology without Edgar Allan Poe, obviously. So The Raven is a big one, another bird poem. And um, you also can't do it without Dante's Inferno. So we're going to, we have the, the marvelous Robert Pinsky is very excited about this pro project and he will allow us to put his translation of Dante's The Inferno of Dante into the collection and excerpt the harpy expert excerpt also a bird-like creature and you can't really have this uh, anthology without the Jabberwocky and um, that's of course Lewis Carroll from Alice in Wonderland and I'm not going to read that today because because you might trip over it and I also think Johnny Depp's recitation in the last Alice in Wonderland was impeccable and amazing and I'm not going to come up behind what, that that's what we should seek out if we want to right. it's you can get it on YouTube and it's amazing oh uh, how I much is it the license out poems it depends on the poem and how um, the estate of the author if the poem is a classic like Edgar Allan Poe's you're not going to have to pay much of a a permission or a fee and it just comes down to uh, getting permissions for each poem and every poem is different and every estate is different so it might be 25 cents it might be 10 bucks for a poem or something else um, it's just individual but the more classic poems you have the less expensive it is and fortunately for us every man is getting our permissions for us thank goodness because oh, well, that's a yeah. huge huge job and I'm so thankful they're doing that because you really have to track down every publisher and estate to ask for permission to reprint. Now, you you and Tony are the editors. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your role. Are you choosing the entire direction of what goes into the anthology? Are you honoring some true principles for po- poets that have come before you? Tell me how that tell me how you lay out the landscape. Well, we decided to feature monsters. It was just an easy way to to deal with the issues of horror and dark psychological suspense. And then we went about looking at websites that uh, categorize monsters and trying to look at how they categorize it, what their names for the monsters were. So I got my categories off of various different um, suggestions by websites. Okay. And then we boiled that down further. So, to the angels, demons, vampires, ghosts, fabulous beasts. I think there might be the um, the dead is another category, perhaps. Zombies. Zombies, that's right. We got a killer zombie poem that huh. just got submitted by uh, Henry Israeli. So, you think you might have another category? <laughs> well, it's it's part of the corporal undead category, uh, uh. I think. <laughs> It goes along with the vampires. Okay, okay. (laughs) And we have a lot of human monster poems. That's a popular category. So it's interesting to find out what's a popular category. Poets love ghosts. Really? Big, big category. 
And, and um, this is marked through time consistently or um, recently? I mean, give me some... Just throughout time. That If you're looking for... If you're looking at an author you like and you're looking for a poem in the monster category, you're almost always going to find a ghost poem by them. And I think because ghosts make a nice metaphor for so many things. Is a ghost a way of explaining something that they can't explain? Or is a ghost a way of giving them comfort that something else exists beyond this lifetime? I'm trying to think of how it's categorized. Um... Would it be a conscience thing? Where you? Go- I think so. Probably not comfort in the case of these poets. Probably just the fact that um, there's another dimension too. Because you couldn't call it a trend if you're seeing it throughout time. You would have to say it's a more deeper um, theme throughout our humanity. Right. It's not a trend. Yeah. Like I would. I guess it's not fair to say vampires are a trend because they've stood a little bit more test of the time too. But it's certainly a trend right now. Yeah. So it would be hard to see it past that. It's interesting to note <clears throat> that vampires of all the monsters, of all the genres of literature, are the most popular monsters hmm. of all literatures, and they sell the best. Is it because they? Probably I would think it's because they're sexual creatures and they involve a lot of deep passion, the kind that we don't necessarily get from our human lives as often as we want, but can access through. Well, the way the vampire vampires world. make love on Big Love, it's just like, sign me up, I'll do that. Yeah. On Big Love? Or, <laughs> or I'm on, sorry, on True Blood. True, True Blood. Blood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, boy, <laughs> I, I missed that episode. <laughs> 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 Although, it's not a bad idea to... Combine those two shows, Big Love and True Blood, might be. That would be interesting. The next sister bride is a vampire. That would, probably <laughs> that, that would be, be kind of cool. Exciting. I love that idea. Just, I like that um, idea too. Just getting off to the side, what would happen if a vampire got bit by a zombie? Has that ever been contemplated? You know, if you've thought of it, it's probably already happened, Heather. Um, I actually watched it. I went to a zombie panel at Comic Con a couple of years ago. A zombie Which, panel? You yes. said you mean you participated in the oh, zombie. Oh, no. I you, was you, watching okay. all the top yes. zombie language literature. zombie panel. Zombie <laughs> literature, you know, World War Z and uh, all the zombie love and all the famous zombie literatures. All the authors were there except, of course, Romero, who they all paid homage to. And... Um, you better believe that one of them has already thought of that scenario, and I haven't encountered it yet. But, um, or have I? It seems like in a book I have encountered it, and I'm trying. Well, are you to trying think, to ascertain if the zombie turns the vampire into a zombie, or aren't they already kind of one? Well, of the they're same? the walk. They're kind of the Walking Dead, but a vampire actually takes other people's blood to keep it going, where yeah. a zombie just eats you and then you become a zombie. And unfortunately, the zombie doesn't become better. No, no, the zombie just starts falling apart. But the That's vampire right. does? Well, the vampire usually is well-preserved, and you don't know that they're a vampire yeah. unless they take their fangs out. Okay. So it's a different it's a different state of being That's dead. That's funny. <laughs> I feel so That's out of true. it right now. <laughs> I am not even going to admit this publicly, although I might garner some respect from some people out there in yeah. KUCI land, but I don't read the Twilight series. <laughs> I've read all of them. I just, I can't. I, I cannot go back to young love. I just, mm. I like Because you feel old? Mm. No, I just, I don't know. It just bugged me. It oh. bugged me to see all my grown friends swooning over somebody that was the age of my stepson. Well, I mean, so. there, there's some genre books that, I mean, you don't. 
care for. Like, I mean, um, I have a few goth friends that don't care for Nightmare Before Christmas, whereas most of them do. And it's just, it's not their cup of tea. And so, I mean, you can not like Twilight, but still be in the vampires. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I enjoyed True Blood, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True Blood's really, I mean, True Blood's really awesome. It's well done. Yeah. Did we have a caller? We, we had one earlier, but they I put them on hold and they dropped. So well, we're thinking that might be Tony calling in your co-editor yeah. on Monstrous Verse that's going to share some insights. Okay, so we might be getting it. Well, why don't we take a break and why don't we try to call Tony? Does that work or? Sure, do you we can have, call. Yeah. I, well, actually, he's he he's on the road. We he's might on the let road. Him do his yeah. thing. We could okay. text him, but maybe I should read a couple of the poems. Yeah, let's do that. That are in the monster book. Okay, and, oh, and if you're just tuning in, I always forget this. Um, this is basic DJ stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody thumped me when I forget. Uh, if you're just tuning in, this is Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County. And we have in the studio today Michelle Mitchell Faust. I want you to watch her career because it will be amazing to see where she goes. Um, she's an amazing poet, nominated for a Pulitzer. And she's in the studio today telling us about her upcoming project. So we're really fortunate to have her here. She um, wooed me last week with reading poetry. So I invite you to find a relaxing place and sit back and listen to her read some more. Uh, This is by Charles Baudelaire, a French uh, symbolist poet of the 19th century. And it's from The Flowers of Evil. And it's about an incubus. And it will be... It's one of the poems being considered for monstrous verse. Incubus. Eyes glowing like an angel's. I'll come back to your bed and reach for you from the shadows. You won't hear a thing. On your dark skin, my kisses will be colder than moonlight. Caresses of a snake crawling round an open grave. When the morning whitens, you find no one beside you. The place cold all day. Others by fondness prevail over your life, your youth. I leave it to fear. Tell me what that means to you when he says, I leave it to fear. I think he's talking about fear being a companion always in your life. Maybe a To each of us, or is he saying just to him? Uh, You know... He probably would agree that it's to all of us, but we just aren't aware of it, perhaps. I mean, he lived a pretty interesting life of um, during the decadence period of French literature. So it would have all been hyperbole and gorgeousness. And when I visited his grave, there were this lovely young couple was taking each other's photos on top of it. And it was covered entirely in tiny bud vases with one flower in each. Mm. And uh, he's just beautiful, dark decadence, um, longing. longing and sexuality. Mm-hmm. So it's a fear that has to do with sexuality. And it's also about the other, the other being um, passion, passionate, um, but also frightening. Because it's the other, Right. Um, I'm going to read another one called The World by Christina Rossetti, also a 19th century poet in America. And this one, I believe, rhymes. And it's a sonnet. By day she woos me soft, exceeding fair. But all night, as the moon so changes she, loathsome and foul with hideous leprosy, 
and subtle serpents gliding in her hair. By day she woos me to the outer air, ripe fruits, sweet flowers, and full satiety. But through the night a beast she grins at me, a very monster void of love and prayer. By day she stands a lie, by night she stands in all the naked horror of the truth, with pushing horns and clawed and clutching hands. Is this a friend indeed that I should sell my soul to her, give her my life and youth till my feet, cloven too, take hold on hell? Mm. What does that make you think, Heather? I'm not very good at thinking today. Is that a good friend? (laughs) (laughs) It's a gorgon for sure. And remember, a gorgon was someone that if you looked her in the face, you would turn to stone. So probably you shouldn't befriend her. Okay. We'll keep that in mind. And I'm going to read an Emily Dick. One of my favorite things about this anthology was, well, two things. One of them is that I got to read poems by poets that I didn't know about. I knew Uh the poets really well. Emily Dickinson, right? Everybody knows Emily Dickinson. Uh, but I didn't know her poems about ghosts. So you got to see her dark side. I got to see, well, she's, you know, she's was riding that wave all the time. But, did, she, uh, did it make you appreciate her more? To find every, that every time you read common? Emily Dickinson, you appreciate her more. Mm. She is, she's coming into her own, I think. It's her time. So this is called Ghosts by Emily Dickinson. One need not be a chamber to be haunted One need not be a house. The brain has corridors surpassing material place. Far safer of a midnight meeting, external ghost, than an interior confronting that whiter host. Far safer through an abbey gallop, the stones a chase, than moonless one's own self-encounter in a lonesome place. Our self, behind our self-concealed, should startle most. Assassin hid in our apartment be horror's leasts. The prudent carries a revolver. He bolts the door, or looking a superior specter, more near. Hmm. So that's definitely the self is the ghost. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a wonderful... And the second great thing about this anthology, other than working with the marvelous Tony Barnstone... Um, is that I get to get back in touch with the people that I haven't talked to in a really long time. And one of those people was Billy Collins, who just sent me an email and said, yeah, I want to be in the anthology, and you're welcome to have questions about angels. And Billy is one of our best-selling poets in America. He's very well-known. He reads often in L.A. But I spent two weeks with him at the Poets House in Ireland uh, teaching, and having a lot of fun because he has a terrific sense of humor. And I forced him to do aerobics with me every morning with a pole, which he is still horrified by the pole. <laughs> Just leave it at home, right? Um, but he would uh, sling his arms over the shoulders of this pole and insist we used Wardell Gray, a jazz musician that mm. we do work out to. Because James and Janice Simmons, who were directors of the Poets House in Donegal, Ireland, had this magnificent jazz collection because James Simmons was a a very famous Irish writer. And anyway, so Billy would play Wardell Gray and he'd just yell out, 
you don't have to call him Je- Mr. Jesus, just call him Jesus, you know, as he's doing this workout with me. And, and so, now how long has it been since you've seen him? Well, you know, I just saw him read last year with mm-hmm. uh, Kay Ryan, but we were in this long signing line and, you know, he was being the man signing mm-hmm. and I was being the girl with the book, with right? The book. So we, we were just like, hi, hi, you know, very quick exchange. And then I get this nice email going, hey, why did you send me like this form email, you know, like I, you know, sent it to a lot of people and I didn't put too much personal. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. He did mention the poll again. He can't write to me without mentioning that horrible poll that I made. We didn't have actual polls like we have at the YMCA where I teach. So we had to use broomsticks from the hardware store downtown oh, Donegal. <laughs> and so it was real makeshift. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds like a, oh, a blast. Billy. So we had a lot of fun. But I want to read his poem, Questions About Angels. Now, how will most people know him by? Is there a work that he's published? That oh, a number do? of books. That's... A number. And uh, he has a new one out, and I'm ashamed to say, what is the title of this? Um, it has horoscope in the title, okay. I know. And you can pretty much get him at any Barnes & Noble. He's, okay. He's, uh, he is our best-selling poet. He's, he's the rock star. And why do you think that is? Um, I think you'll see when you hear the poem. Okay. He okay. appeals to the masses what do you in mean, a lot of ways. What do you mean by R? Like, is it like um, your colleagues or? Um, you said he's our best and our countries. Oh, right. Our, it's our countries. Yeah, our countries. Okay. But, uh, yeah, our countries. But it's a really small world in poetry. It's really small, it, and it, which is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Poets like to hang out with each other, and uh, there aren't a lot of us, although that number is going up every moment, I hope, as a result of this broadcast. Well, that's what I was just thinking, so we want to figure out ways to encourage people. Yeah. So after you read this, we'll talk a little bit about Okay. That. So questions about Angel. I'm going to try to channel him. He's in New York, I think, or Florida. Last should time be I trying heard. to channel Tony, too. Channel, so he calls in and channel <laughs> Billy. Okay, I'm going to try to think of how Billy reads. Um, of all the questions you might want to ask about angels, the only one you ever hear is how many can dance on the head of a pin. No curiosity about how they pass the eternal time besides circling the throne chanting in Latin or delivering a crust of bread to a hermit on earth or guiding a boy and girl across a rickety wooden bridge. Do they fly through God's body and come out singing? Do they swing like children from the hinges of the spirit world, saying their names backwards and forwards? Do they sit alone in little gardens, changing colors? What about their sleeping habits, the fabric of their robes, their diet of unfiltered divine light? What goes on inside their luminous heads? Is there a wall these tall presences can look over and see hell? If an angel fell off a cloud... Would he leave a hole in a river, and would the hole float along endlessly filled with the silent letters of every angelic word? If an angel delivered the mail, would he arrive in a blinding rush of wings, or would he just assume the appearance of the regular mailman and whistle up the driveway reading the postcards? No, the medieval theologians control the court. The only question you ever hear about, the little dance floor on the head of a pin where halos are meant to converge and drift invisibly. 
It is designed to make us think in millions, billions, to make us run out of numbers and collapse into infinity. But perhaps the answer is simply one. One female angel dancing alone in her stocking feet, a small jazz combo working in the background. She sways like a branch in the wind, her beautiful eyes closed, and the tall, thin bassist leans over to glance at his watch because she's been dancing forever. And now it is very late, even for musicians. <laughs> wow. And Billy is a good dancer. And and I like the way he wove in his yeah. love of jazz, too. Yeah. We, we danced in a little dive bar in San Diego once. Billy and I. Was and fun. he's a good dancer. He's a good dancer. He's fun. You know, last time we didn't get a chance. Well, okay, I want to, there's a couple things I want to get to, and our time just flies here at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County. And we have Michelle Mitchell Faust today. We didn't pay enough time to the children. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, they're not children. The <laughs> students, oh my God, I better take that back. They're they going to kill well. me. <laughs> They're, well, maybe they're, childlike. They're childlike. Yeah. They have childlike we, souls. We, there's so much inspiration that you draw from your your daytime life. And I, I find that such so rich in contrast to um, your creative life. So mm-hmm. can we talk a little bit about sure. that? So I teach at a continuation high school in Santa Ana. And my students are... Um, colorful because they have reached this point in their lives where they are trying to finish their education and oftentimes they have done a number of very adult things this is to get their high school diploma that's right high school diploma in fact 150 of them just graduated friday wow go pumas congratulations (laughs) and um i'm teaching them geometry and this is not a subject that they like Mm. Um, generally speaking. So uh, what I try to do is bring my own brand of humor to the content. I look, I Google geometry and whatever we're doing at the time, the rooster outside the window or whatever they're thinking about. I try to think about it in terms of, um, well, in this book, it's called Bullfight, and it's about seducing them into geometry. Because you find so much resistance, probably so much resistance in it, in any academic subject they experience otherwise they wouldn't be in this pickle that's right so um, I decided I would try to um, write poems about geometry and share them with the students as part of the curriculum but I'm also I'm also uh, getting the students to be muses for example one student Christian um, Dercio has inspired me to write a poem about him because he's very fascinated by the Illuminati. Oh, so I was trying right. to um, write a poem about geometry and the Illuminati. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a few stanzas of it. And it, what's fairly funny is he kept walking around the other day saying this phrase about trees over and over and over again. And he comes through my room about every period, by the way. He only has me one period, but I get to see him every period. Because he's drawn to you? That's right. He's He's got a poet soul. He doesn't know it, but he's learning. <laughs> he knows it. He knows it. And he was saying this line over and over again about trees, and I said, Christian, where did you get that line? It sounded like a pretty good line to me. And he said, 
it's from your poem. I said, oh, you're quoting me, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was fantastic because it's resonating. Yeah. So I'm going to read this first section. And this poem is called If Anything. And I'm comparing Christian to the rooster that's outside our door. Outside the geometry room, there's an apartment building where there's a rooster down below that hangs out in the alley. Okay. And it also has the Pythagorean theorem. You might recognize A squared plus B squared equals C squared for right triangles. So okay. it's called if anything, because that's what Christian says all the time. If anything, if anything. <sighs> I forgot about that equation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Heather. If, if Is anything, that... Heather, you should have remembered that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looking through a tree to another tree and not looking through that one. Or looking at it and not seeing a movement of seed and pre-blossom and leaf-turned, Christian asks, Is the Pythagorean theorem a conspiracy? And I laugh. The Pythagorean triples surely conspire in their triangular syllabary. But he should hear about the horse races. All the days I spent with my father at the track where the numbers conspired for and against us. We were superstitious about the trifecta, my father betting the 247 in, my, in honor of my father's father's lucky numbers. It's not a perfect triple, but if we won, we could stay the night in a hotel with a pool. They have a rooster in the apartment complex behind the geometry room, and two hanging cages of birds, a pair of doves in one, and nothing in the other, and the odd square cut high up into the building maybe for fuses, but it's gushing a dry, dark straw and power wire, a pigeon nest abandoned. The rooster is autonomous as he glistens and floats up the stairs. He is Christian, who keeps insisting I'm not listening the way he wants me to, the way he wants answers about who's running the world. He accordions a five-dollar bill as a sort of origami, proof of the existence of the Illuminati, the number five flying all over the special parallelogram. Wait, he keeps saying, wait, I can hear your heart beating. So th- the poetry sounds to me a bit like it's, a, it's your lure for the students to draw them in. And are you finding that you're able to pull many of them in with this method? Oh, yeah. They love hearing the poems. And do you read to them often? Not often enough. They'd like to hear more poems and less geometry, actually. <laughs> they want, They beg me to read the poems. Just curious, what does Christian think about the Freemasons? He's a fascinating with the Illuminati. Oh, well, we could add that to his vocabulary, and I'm sure he'd be on the Internet <laughs> Oh, he doesn't know about that. them, then. No, I need to help. Although we ha- I have created a association called the IPOGs, the International Peoplehood of Geometry Students. And I keep telling them it's not a gang, it's a union. Because my dad was the IBEW person. So I created the IPOGs and our symbol is um, a compass over the top of a protractor that looks very Freemason-like. And they don't really know that yet. So Very fun. (laughs) Do you find that it's the poetry that breaks down the resistance to learning geometry? Yes, I have a journal every day, and they can either write a poem or a paragraph of the of the journal, and it's a way for them to gain points for the class if they're better writers than they are geometers, and they are more inclined to write than calculate. And is it is there a reason? I mean, what what would be the block? I mean, I'm asking these questions because I 
probably had a little bit of that when I was going through school. There's just something about math that's daunting. Uh, well, it wasn't until I got to college and realized that it was all based in philosophy, and then I was happy. Mm. But I wasn't interested before I realized there was more uh, deeper, um, deeper theory. So what is the resistance from with math? I think when they get to my stage of the game, they have learned helplessness, which means they've decided they can't learn it, or they had a teacher who told them they weren't good at it. And they've made up their minds that they can't do it. And so this is a huge wall. And we have to somehow um, seduce them into deciding that they can before they actually succeed at doing it. I'm, I'm, in my high school time, most of the kids that went to continuation school, they're the ones that really never showed up to begin with. Right. So, I mean, what kind of percentages do you deal with? Is it just the teachers being kind of... Um, belittling, saying that, oh, no, you mm -hmm. can't do this? Or, I mean, wh I mean, what kind of students do you get exactly? Well, Heather, that's a really good point. I would say 50% of them had serious truancy problems. And so if you're not there, and math is hierarchical, meaning that if you miss some things, you've missed, missed out. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that learned helplessness is developed over time and over a time when they probably were truant for whatever reason, mm -hmm. for illness, for taking care of parents, for taking care of brothers and sisters, for having a job. There are so many reasons. So they get behind, and then they develop the learned helplessness. So it's all part of this equation of why they uh, need to pick up credits at a continuation school. Yeah. And how, how successful do you find... Well, let's just ask you this. Are, are most of them passing your class? Uh, when I first started four years ago, we had a pretty solid 50% success rate, which I felt like was good, actually, for this kind of population. Okay. Um, it's more like 75, 80% now. I'm happy oh. to say I found a way to to coerce them into doing some, some geometry. And you should be pleased with that. Is that... Um is that the norm throughout all the classes at the continuation school, or is it about 50% throughout the school? I think when I started, 50% was the norm for the math department. Okay. And we have been sneaking our way up ever since. Um, I think there's a higher success rate in the other classes. Because those subjects just are easier to breeze through, do you think? I think that... They're not easier. They're just less intimidating. I mean, we're talking about fear and what people are scared of in terms of monsters. Well, these kids are scared of of um, failing, for one thing, and failing at math particularly. And it, and it would be a monster because they're majorly behind, hence continuation school. Like, is it like a super fast-paced school where they'll – you make up all the units that you've missed in the same span where they would graduate high school normally, or do they finish continuation school maybe a year or two years after they normally would graduate? Actually, um, we're allowing them to finish on time. Some okay. of them finish early, but most of them finish on time, and it's really sped up curriculum. It's a 45-day quarter. So these are, are, are these high school age kids? Yes, okay. uh, my students are 16 to 18. So they've stepped completely out of whatever this school that is in their district that they would attend and are on track in a different location to catch up with those their peers. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do you have attendance issues in your class? 
I, I really don't that much. For the first three years, I certainly didn't. Uh, this year was a little bit more difficult, so I don't know. I mean, tardies are our worst thing. They just don't come on time. Yeah. I think tardy is kind of my worst thing. <laughs> I, I well. hate to say it, kids, but I don't think that changes. <laughs> you either are punctual or you aren't, and then you struggle with it the rest of your life. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Do you have any poetry that addresses the struggle of the monster in the math? Um, I did you have, have a poem that, of the, that sort of characterizes what we're dealing with in this kind of student. Okay. Okay. It's called Maynard, and it... Actually, a maynad is a okay. A maynad is a a harpy of sorts, something that rips something <clears throat> apart. Okay. I've learned to learn the street by sound. A candy wrapper snipering the gutter in a wind. An owl faltering on the limitation belfry over the ocean. Her tail feathers tip up as she listens to her foghorn echo. Another owl calling across from another house, smooth as a plane threading a thundercloud. There are three sounds and so many stars. Maricela says the leg they gave her husband's brother was so badly made that it was no wonder he couldn't walk with it. Not to be outdone, Adelaide says her cousin was drunk when she chewed Adelaide's rabbit's leg off. I was laughing, she says. We both were, when my cousin pretended to eat the severed leg. What was she on, I ask. Adelaide doesn't know. She says the vet put a metal clamp on the stump. But they can pay $500 for a plastic foot, so the rabbit will be able to walk again. The boy sitting next to her says his dog died yesterday. Do I want to see a picture of his dog? Is it dead in the picture? Sleeping, he says, and he shows me the dog, which is young and clearly dead, lying on his side, his fur black and moist and curling. At night I listen for the herons, a creaking that never comes. But as the owl calls fade behind me, a long and arduous scream passes over me in the dark. I mean, I feel the chaos of the room in that, but I also feel a bit of the horror of their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. And I just want to close with one little sonnet, if I could. Please. Kavafi's last word. Kavafi was a Greek poet who, for his last word, he just drew a circle. And I thought that was wonderful. Kavafi's last word. I thought I heard him say worried, but he said circle. And then he drew this ancient and perfect shape on the paper. And I wondered if I would ever be able to say the same thing. If I could make that shape at the end of my life. That all the love I sent out found its mark. That all my sorrows had been poulticed by the words coming back to me as yours did decades after we held each other the first time, when you said, yes, you knew vividly the thread between us, and you imagined the sun on that thread always. How can we describe the hair on our heads as anything but damp from exertion? And how can we call ourselves anything but complicit in this power of the myriad myriads, love's gifts immemorial as circles, which has lasted us several lifetimes. Hmm. I find it so fascinating that we've sat for another hour and the time just flew by. It, uh, it flies by. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we need to do this more often. And, yeah. Um, I appreciate you coming in 
especially on such short notice. And oh, I had a blast. A little bit more richness. And I hope we'll be able to come back with Tony and really. I do too. Tribute yeah, that, that beautiful anthology. Sounds amazing. It's going to be so great. I mean, that table of contents just, it's a thing of beauty to me. And I'm excited to see this unfold mm-hmm. for you. Really interesting path you're on. Michelle Mitchell Faust, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks, Heather. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, stay tuned next for Counterspin. And then after that, Matt Kaplan has Weekly Signals. Then Kyle comes back with the music with things that are squared, only on KCI, but all of that happens after this medical moment.